0: All right. It's good to see everybody this evening. Um, I'm excited about tonight, excited about the class. Um, We're going to get into some things tonight that, um, as far as, you know, feedback from people over the years, um, I I have received uh, a tremendous amount of feedback from this particular teaching, Um, positive feedback. As a matter of fact, give a shout out to uh, my brother Brian Reynolds. He uh, was so wanting to be here tonight. He's been asking me for two weeks when we were going to teach Heaven's Plural. And uh, so Heaven's Plural is going to be tonight, and uh, anyway, Brian had to work, got called into work, but uh, he said, I'll get off a little after 7, and I promise you I'll be the first one to watch it once it's uh, stored up there. So anyway, uh, we love our brother. Amen. Shout out to our brother Jason pv too. He's watching from Louisiana tonight, and lots of others. So, But anyway, I'm glad you're here. I know it's um, uh, Halloween, uh, as far as the world is concerned, and and I had a few folks ask if we were going to have class tonight on Halloween, and, and obviously we are in service. and. And um, nothing, you know, again, no, no shame on anyone who's not here or celebrating something else. So, but uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here. And the uh, room's configured a little differently uh, if you're here live and, um, and a little differently if you're watching uh, tonight. Um, hopefully, we're getting this dialed in for the uh, best uh, experience, both for those of you who are here physically and those who are um, watching. Amen. All right, with all that, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for life and peace this evening. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given to us. Um, Father, thank you uh, that um, you are for us and not against us, and that you have um, brought us, Lord, to this place in our lives, uh, Lord, to uh, teach us some things that will help us move onward and upward from here. Father, we acknowledge that your call goes out to all of us, and your call for each of us is an upward call, Father, and so... Thank you for the progress that we've made, but also, Father, thank you for the progress that we've yet to make, that you're going to help us make. And and, um, I just pray, Lord, not just for those that are uh, uh, experiencing this training, this teaching, Father, but for all that those who are experiencing it will minister to uh, in the future. And, um, Father, we know that uh, anything you do in us, you then want to do through us. And so, make us disciples, Father, so that we can go make disciples for your glory. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's within us, among us, upon us tonight. And Father, we ask tonight for for more than just information, but Lord, that you would reveal revelation, Father. You would reveal your truth to us deep in our inner man. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's begin in Mark, the fourth chapter, Mark chapter 4. And I want to kind of hit this part a little fast, Um, but I do feel like we matter of fact, I had moved this section of notes on to the back of the stack. Uh, but I pulled them back out um, just because I feel like we really need uh, to follow up on these things and, uh, and move forward. So just to kind of review and orient you as to where we are, amen, we uh, are looking at uh, this idea, this truth, that every born-again believer is in the ministry, and we've been reconciled to God and so thoroughly reconciled to Him that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've talked in previous classes uh, as to what that actually is. And we also saw that in order to be effective as ministers of reconciliation, um, our Creator Father committed to us His Word, the Word of reconciliation. And um, as we've said a few times already, um, we put on the whole armor of God, and every piece of that armor is defensive in nature, but there's one offensive, there's one weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the reason we only have one weapon is because it's the only one that we need. Amen. Everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God, and we spent uh, part of one class and most of last class looking at the verses in Hebrews 1 where the Bible says that the mighty Word of God's power is upholding, maintaining, propelling uh, the universe, amen, and of course our planet and its orbit and um, all of that within it, amen, and of course what I'm ultimately praying and believing for the Holy Spirit to do, in in all of our lives, deepen in all of our lives, is the power that is in the Word of God and how His power is conveyed through His Word. That's the difference between the power of His Word and the Word of His power, is because His words become a pipeline through which His power flows, and um, it's the very power that created the universe. It's the very power. That upholds, maintains, and sustains uh, the universe in which we live, and the reason that's so very important because the enemy um, will, when you're ministering to other folks and and even in your own life, uh, he will try to diminish in your estimation um, the power of God and the power of God that is conveyed in and through His Word, and when it comes to a ministry situation. Um, if, if we allow the enemy to, in other words, if we're not thoroughly convinced of the power that's in God's word, we'll go to something else. We'll try to use something else. And, um, and the minute the enemy gets us outside of God's word, okay, he's got you. In other words, you are no match for him outside of God's word, but he is no match for you within the confines of God's Word. Okay? So that's why he's always trying to lure you away from the truth. He's always trying to lure you away from both for yourself, but also when you minister to other people. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to spend some time then really uh, you know, just solidifying and, 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 and establishing in our hearts um, this uh, mighty uh, word of his power. And so, End of last class, we we looked at some things pertaining to our solar system, pertaining to our Earth's orbit. Um, Kim asked me on on Monday about those statistics again. So in order for the Earth to to rotate all the way around one time on its axis at the equator, it's traveling 1,070 miles an hour. In order for our planet Earth to make one complete trip around the sun, it's traveling at 67,000 miles an hour. Um, and just a 1% variation uh, could bring us up over 250,000 miles, or almost 250,000 miles short uh, per trip, okay. So, I mean, when you're traveling 67,000 miles an hour, it, it, it don't take much to, to get behind or ahead. And, um, and then the, the moon uh, both turns on its axis and goes all the way around the Earth once every 27.3 days. And so all of that in perfect synchronization Gives us what we know of as our seasons. Um, And of course, without those seasons, uh, life on this planet would not be possible. And more specifically, what we know as seed time and harvest um, would not be possible. Okay, so let's build on that just for a minute, and and then we'll transition into some uh, other things, related but other things, okay? So Mark chapter 4, verse uh, 26 and 27, uh, it says this, And he said, and the he here, of course, is Jesus, uh, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. Notice that last phrase, He himself does not know how. He himself does not know how. So he's talking about something here that remains a mystery. You take a a dead seed and put it in the ground, and by burying it, it comes to life and releases the potential that is within it. If the seed never falls into the soil, the potential that's within the seed will never be released. Now, the reason this is a mystery is because it involves the divine power of God. In other words, it is the power of God that not only created the seed, but it is the Word of God spoken to this planet that causes soil to release the potential that's within the seed itself. now, I want you to think about it for a moment. If you take a fence post and plant it in the earth, the earth will try to break down and grow that fence post. It will try to turn that fence post into a seed. That's why we have to treat uh, uh, wood um, before we put it in the ground to keep it from uh, you know, becoming rotten. Are you following what I'm saying? All right now, let me give you another verse: Genesis chapter one, verse eleven. Then God said, "Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth." And it was so. So again, don't don't miss the simplicity of this. Who said? God said. Right. And when God speaks, He does what? He releases His power. So God said, let the earth bring forth grass. So notice in the Mark 4 verse that when the farmer plants the seed, it, he uh, goes to bed at night, he rises by day, and the seed uh, sprouts and grows. He himself does not know how. Now, you could have a Ph.D. in agriculture from Auburn University, one of the finest agricultural schools in, in, on the face of planet earth, all right? And understand how to genetically modify seeds. You, you could understand so much about agricultural that you have forgotten more than the average person will ever know. And yet there will still be a mystery as to why you put a seed in the ground and the ground causes it to grow. So notice, the, the, the just a side note here, that farmer plants the seed and then goes to bed and sleeps and rises by day. And he's at peace because he knows that He has activated a system that will produce a result. And so He's at rest in the sense that there's something bigger than Him going on here. Do you see this? There's something that He doesn't control, but understands and trusts that's involved in all of this. And so notice Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like this. In other words, there's something bigger than us that we don't control, that God is, is, is involved in, amen, that we can put our trust And our confidence in, because again, it's a mystery. Let me give you another one. Genesis 8 and 22. It says, while the earth remains. Does the earth still remain? Amen. While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night, shall not cease. That's what God said. Okay? So, what causes day and night? What causes winter and summer? What causes cold and heat? Right? It's all that stuff we talked about last week. 27.3 day moon cycle, 24 hour uh, rotation on the axis a 365 days uh, travel around the sun with the moon acting upon the earth, tilting it slightly to one side and also affecting its distance and proximity to the sun as it makes that 365 day trip. Okay? All of that because God said, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease as long as the earth remains. Okay, (laughs) amen. So, uh, you may have never connected those two things together. I'm just trying to show you, again, this is the mighty word of His power. When He said this, power was released from Himself to uphold, maintain, propel, sustain um, this earth and the moon, and not just this earth and the moon, but, but our galaxy and many more galaxies In the universe. Amen? All right. So that was what we would have gotten to last week if we had had time to get to it. So this is where I was hoping we would begin tonight. Um, Turn with me now to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. I know I've said it once already this evening. I said it a time or two last class. I just want to say it again. Amen. Everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. Everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. If you've got situations in your life that don't seem to want to budge, hit them with the Word. Hit them with the Word. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We we gave you kind of a homework assignment to to figure out something or a couple of things in your life that need to change, and then find out what God had to say about it, and begin to apply the Word of God uh, to that in your life. Amen. Releasing, applying um, the Word of God to that situation in your life. Amen. Now, we're going to spend at least a few minutes uh, on these verses out of Isaiah um, uh, 55. They are uh, some really uh, profound verses uh, just in their own right. Amen. (laughs) But especially as they relate to and connect with um, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Okay. So let's begin Isaiah 55, verse number 6. It says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, a couple of things as we, un, as we begin to unpack this. Um, notice that we are instructed throughout the Word of God, both the Old Testament and the New, that we are to seek the Lord. As a matter of fact, one of my life verses, uh, Hebrews 11:6, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that God, number one, is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So when we're talking about faith fundamentals and the two things that every human being must believe, number one, must believe that God is. And notice, right alongside believing that God is, that God exists, is believing that this God that we believe exists is a God who diligently rewards those, I'm sorry, who rewards those, He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Amen. So this is not a a new teaching that we find in the New Testament. Jesus told us to ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Amen. And so there is a posture. Do you understand a posture? An attitude. There is a posture of life, an attitude of life that says, I am one who seeks God. I am one who is is going after Him. It's not that God's playing hard to get. And I I know that that became a popular teaching not not too long ago in the body of Christ. God's not playing hard to get. We, we, We have a real enemy who's bringing resistance against us. And if we do nothing, we will get caught up in the current of this world, which is pulling away from God. So we have to put forth effort on our parts in in order to pursue Him, in order to go after Him. Remember, the wisdom that you need, matter of fact, the Bible says it this way, wisdom for your glory, wisdom for you to live your highest and best life. The Bible says God has hidden it, not from you, but for you. He's hidden it for you. We've already covered this, I think, once. But again, you hide a key from people that you don't want to get into your house, but you hide it for people that you do want to get into your house. So when, the, when it says that the, the wisdom is hidden for you, it's not laying on top of the surface. The, it, you, you've got to turn over a few rocks. You've got to do some digging. Amen. And so, But God has hidden wisdom for you, but you'll never find it if you don't have this posture, this attitude of seeking Him. Amen. Seeking Him. I was talking to the, to the ladies, uh, I guess it was Thursday of last week, you know. What, what does it look like to seek God? In other words, if, if, if person A, uh, I, I said sister A because it was, was with the women, right? If sister A is seeking the Lord diligently and sister B is not, what is sister A doing that sister B ain't, right? That sister B's not doing, alright? Or brother B's not doing. Amen. So, diligently seeking the Lord. We've got to understand this in a, in, a, in a practical sense, not not just in some kind of uh, vague or shallow sense, but but in in the depth of it, and the meaning of it, and the practicality of it. Now also I want you to notice here, because Isaiah really adds something to this truth about seeking the Lord. It says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Now, the simple way to understand this is that God can always be found. But sometimes we're in a place and a position and a frame of mind or it's easier for us to find Him and seek Him and call upon Him than it is at other times in our lives. Are you following what I'm saying? Um, if, if you're in a worship service where other born-again Spirit-filled believers are worshiping God along with you, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is there and His tangible presence is, is, is in that place, two or three gathered together, His promise is to be there, He's promised to come and dwell upon and inhabit the praises of His people, literally our praises create a throne for Him to come and sit in our midst. Well, guess what? It's easier to call upon the Lord in that situation, right? When we can sense Him, when He's near. Amen. And so, He's talking about these, these opportunities. And we'll get to this um, in some later classes um, but the Bible talks about those who did not recognize their hour of visitation. They did not recognize that, that Jesus was so close that you could reach out and touch him, and, and it, would, it would have been so, so accessible and, and so easy to, to seek and to, and to hear from and to receive from, right? And so even in our new covenant, amen, where God is is, is there and the sin problem's been resolved, amen, this still is applicable to us. So again, seek the Lord while He may be found. It amazes me the number of people who go to all the trouble that, is, that it required to get themselves and their family and especially small children to church on a Sunday morning. And it's like when they get there, it's like, okay, we made it. And then they start watching the clock for it to be over, right? In other words, notice we did all of that to get ourselves in a position to seek the Lord when He may be found, and yet we're not seeking Him. We're not, we're not calling upon Him. We're not reaching out to Him, right? Okay? So, don't don't make that mistake. Um, The enemy tries to bring that deceptive resistance. All right, so seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of mercy? And to our God, for he will pick and choose who he pardons. Is that what it says? No, he will abundantly pardon. I don't know about you, but I, I, I need abundant pardon. I don't just need a little bit of pardon here and there. I need abundantly. And He's a God who abundantly pardons. Now, let me, let me tell you again, as we begin to just break this passage down, you know, take it apart piece by piece, that this verse is a lot like the passage in 2 Corinthians 5. This, when I say this verse, these verses. In the sense that there's several things that are all coming together right here. It's it's the intersecting and and the joining together, the stitching together of of many different truths and biblical truths, okay? And so we see seek the Lord. We see this idea that there are times when it's easier for Him to to be found and to be sought than other times. Now he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So notice if, if if you haven't seen it yet, I want you to see something very important here. And that is the correlation, the co-relationship, the connection between the way a man thinks, the way a person thinks, and the way a person behaves, the way a person acts. He didn't just say, let the wicked man quit doing his wicked things. He didn't just say, let the unrighteous man quit uh, living unrighteously. He said that the unrighteous man should forsake not just what he's doing, but he must also forsake what he is thinking. Or we should say it another way, how he is thinking. Because again, this is a, a very powerful, powerful uh, dynamic in our lives between how we think and, and the way our thoughts influence our emotions and then the way our emotions influences our choices or our behavior. Okay? Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. And remember now, you've got to remember this, Okay? We, the emotions are, are in our face, amen? The feelings, the depression, the anxiety, the anger. Um, we are very aware of the emotions, um, but sometimes, almost always, um, clueless when it comes to the thoughts and the thinking that's producing those emotions, okay? Alright? So he's saying that it's not just a matter of stop doing what you're doing that's bad or wrong. Because we've all learned by now that that's not enough. Because if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to help us change the thinking, reconcile the thinking, it's only a matter of time until the thinking reproduces, reactivates um, the the, the wrong behavior once again in our lives. So remember, repent doesn't mean stop sinning. The end goal of repentance is a different way of behaving, a, a better way of behaving. But the word repent, anybody remember it means nous in the Greek. Meta, change, change of condition. Nous means mind. So all this preaching of repentance was a call for us to change the way we think. A new condition of mind. Amen. Alright? Really, really, really important. Okay? So he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Okay? Now, I was familiar with this verse for a lot of years, but the way I heard it presented was almost like it was just, I, I, Holy Spirit's got to help me here because I have, to be honest with you, as many times as I've tried to say this, I've never been satisfied with how I've said it up until now. Okay? Because there's something in me. Amen. So let's just wade off into it. All right? It, it was almost like this dismissive um, way of communicating this. It, it's, it's almost said like in just defeat. Like, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways because His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Okay? It is, it is true in a sense that God is diagnosing a problem, but if we stop here, we will miss His solution to this problem. In other words, God is not saying, poor pitiful you, because you don't think like me, you can't behave or live like me, because I think so much higher than you, I live so much higher than you, and you think so much lower than me, you live so much lower than me, and so just deal with it. No, that's not what He's saying here. He's trying to help us understand that if we're ever going to have a higher level of living, we're going to have to think on a higher level than we've been thinking. And that we can literally think like he thinks, and live like he lives. This is why Jesus said things like this, My words I have given to you so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be full to overflowing. Or how about this, I've told you this and explained this to you so that you can have my peace in your heart. Now, let me tell you what the Bible teaches, okay? And this is not just modern psychology. This is what the Bible teaches, okay? The Bible teaches that it's thoughts that generate emotions. Your thinking, your thinking is what generates the way you feel, the emotions that you experience. The devil never wants you to understand that. And and even if you have somebody that, that stands in front of you and tells it to you, he doesn't want you to believe it. And then if you have somebody who shows it to you from the Scriptures, right? Then He wants to tell you that you're the exception. That, well, okay, maybe it's true, but not true for you. He's a liar. It absolutely, positively is true. Okay? So think about it for a moment. If it's true, and it is, that our thinking is what produces our emotions, right? Okay? Okay? then if we can have God's thoughts, we can experience His emotions. This is what Jesus said. I'm telling you this. What was He telling them? He was telling them truth from His Father's heart. So that they could take that truth and use that as the basis for their belief system, their, their way of thought and thinking. And if you, if you think like God thinks, you're going to experience his emotion. So Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that you can have my joy. Jesus' joy came from the way Jesus thought. Jesus' thinking produced Jesus' joy. Jesus said, here's what I'm thinking, guys, and you can adopt these thoughts for your own, and if you think what I'm thinking, and if you think like I'm thinking, my joy can be in you, full to overflowing. Are you seeing this? Alright. So he's not just drawing some line in the sand and saying, well, I'm on this side, you're on that side. Um, poor, pitiful you! Uh, wonderful, blessed me! That's not what he's saying. Okay, he's first of all he's he's laying this out, right? He's showing us that that it's not enough for the wicked man to forsake his wicked ways. The wicked man has to forsake his wicked way of thinking. The unrighteous man, it's not enough for him to just try to stop doing unrighteous acts and try to clean up his behavior. If that unrighteous man continues to think like an unrighteous man, he will continue to behave like an unrighteous man. That's true even of the New Testament now where a man is made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yet if he continues to think like an unrighteous man, he will continue to behave like an unrighteous man even though he's not an unrighteous man anymore. Oh, sweet Jesus, help us, Father. You get anything out of this so far? All right. So, with that said, let's go to verse 9. God's still speaking. He says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are My ways higher than your ways, and My thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall My word be, that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Alright? Now, we just covered a whole bunch of ground right there, so let's go back, and let's not only unpack this portion, but let's make sure we connect it with the first portion that we read. So, he says that, Um, your ways are not my ways because your thoughts are not my thoughts. So if our ways are ever going to be God's ways, that means our thoughts are going to have to be His thoughts. And to the extent that we think like Him, we can live like Him. So what is the solution to this dilemma? Well, He explains it in verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Look at me for a moment, okay? We're not talking about thinking that's barely above ours. We're talking about thinking that's way above ours. We're talking about otherworldly thinking now. Okay? Are you following me? We're we're, we're talking about thoughts and thinking that comes from another world. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And somebody said, well, you know, some think you're a prophet, good teacher. They withheld all the negative things that were being said about Jesus, I guess out of being kind or polite. Then Jesus looks him in the eye and says, but who do you say that I am? Okay. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that, Peter, you just had a thought that was expressed in words that did not come from this earth. It came from another world. A thought that came from another world. Understanding, wisdom, revelation thinking that came from another world. It's a righteous thought. A righteous thought. Are you following me? Jesus, is that you walking on the water? It's me. In the flesh. I put the in the flesh part in there. It's me, He said. If it's you, bid me come... Jesus said, feeling froggy jump, big guy? No, He said, come on, come on. So He steps out of the boat, right? He he ain't thinking from this world anymore. He He didn't get those thoughts from another human being. They didn't have a committee meeting. He didn't poll the other disciples. Who thinks I can do it? Raise your hand. See, none of that, right? He stepped out of that boat and as long as his focus was on Jesus, he walked on that water. The Bible says when he began to divert his attention to what was going on around him, took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Again, lots to talk about there. Simple point I'm trying to make. That thought, that idea didn't come from this world, this world's thinking. It came from God, it came from heaven. So, when he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, he's talking about a huge gap between the way we think and the way God thinks. The way we do things, the way God does things. Our quality of life, as far as by this world system and standards, God's quality of life according to His system and standards. So, my, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are, verse 9 again, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than than your, your thoughts. Okay, Verse 10. For as the rain comes down from heaven, as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, rather, and do not return there but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So think about it now. Don't I'm not trying to overcomplicate this or act like it's some impossible truth to understand but there's a lot of folks who read this and are familiar with this passage and take it out of context, misquote it. Who's ever heard God's words won't return void? Everybody heard that? Okay, alright. So again, thank God, this is where, obviously, it says that. But there's a greater context that people do not understand or they are not aware of and it causes a lot of confusion. And so let's clear that up. Okay? Because God's Ways are higher than our ways, and and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So you've got heaven's way of thinking and doing, earth's way of thinking and doing, okay? So how are we going to bridge this gap? We're going to bridge this gap, first of all, not the only way, but first of all, it begins with God sending His Word from heaven down to us on earth below. Are you seeing this? He says, my word comes down from heaven to the earth like precipitation, like rain comes out of the cloud. Rain falls from a higher place to a lower place, does it not? Snow falls, comes from a higher place to a lower place. So he's saying, my words are going to come from a higher place in heaven to a lower place to you on the earth. Amen. So shall my word be. So shall my word be like what? He says that the rain and the snow come from heaven to the earth, right? and do not return there. There where? Where did they come from? They came from heaven. So they do not return back to the heaven, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Okay? Now again, let's, let's do a little more unpacking here, All right. Using the analogy, the parallel, he said that the rain falls and does not return back to the atmosphere. Now, you say, wait a second, he's saying it doesn't return back to the atmosphere before or until it waters the earth, causes it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is this. When precipitation falls, the plants, the ground, the earth, takes it in. Plants take it into their root system. And then that, that water that they take in through their root system, that plant processes it, and then releases that moisture back into the atmosphere. It's a cycle, right? The rain falls, it it evaporates back up, and then comes back through precipitation. Are you following this? So he's saying that when the rain falls, it's taken in and then returned. Okay? So when he says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, he's talking about someone taking the Word that He sent down to us, bringing that Word into our lives, and then returning that Word back to Him. Are you seeing this? So i like to add this simple statement here for clarification, right? The Word of God will not return void as long as it's returned. It will not return void as long as someone on the earth is taking His Word and returning it back to Him. Now let's go, let's go back again before we get too far into that. There's one last phrase here. That it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Seed to plant and bread to eat. Okay? Are you seeing this? It will help you immensely in your life if you will begin to look at everything you have in the context of both seed and bread, in other words, if you will begin to look at a portion of everything that you have as that which you enjoy for yourself and that which you plant, for others, for God, for yourself, for the future. What happens to a farmer? Let's just say he's a, he's a corn farmer. Farms corn. What's going to happen to that farmer if he eats all of his corn? if he doesn't set aside a portion of of this year's harvest for next year's planting, he's not going to have anything to plant and it's going to create um, a a, a hindrance, right? a a shortage, lack, a void. He's going to break the cycle because he ate all of his seed. He doesn't have anything to plant for his next harvest. And yet, how many people in the body of Christ today look at everything that God is blessing them with, everything that God is giving to them as bread for their own consumption? God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to enjoy the good things of life. He wants you to to enjoy the things that He's blessing you with. But if you keep eating all your seed, you're going to keep interrupting the cycle. You're going to keep coming into these seasons of lack where now we've got to try to scrape together some more seed and try to get something else going for the future. Again, your income. Every every penny that you receive, it's, it's not all bread. God gives you seed to sow and bread to eat. And if we will learn how to recognize, it's kind of like that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. If we can't rightly divide the difference between what's flesh and what's spirit, the enemy's going to have a field day in our lives. If we can't rightly divide and skillfully apply the difference between what's bread and what's seed. Amen. Amen. So God doesn't just give us bread to eat. He gives us seed to plant and bread to eat. And notice He put the seed first. He put the seed first. We live in a world that calls surviving normal. And what we're talking about here is the power of a seed. I've heard it said that you can can take an apple and you can tell me how many seeds are in an apple, but you cannot tell me how many apples are in a seed. Right? Right? you cannot tell me how many apples are in one seed. Because one apple seed produces an apple tree that will produce decades of harvest of apples with six to ten seeds in each one of them. It's the power of a seed. God created this world to function by sowing and reaping. And that's not just for us to have bread to make a ham sandwich with. It's everything in our lives. Amen. Your time. You need some time for yourself. You need some time to enjoy some things. Amen. But there's also, you know, sow your time. Well, amen. I Praise God. I'm passionate about that. So let's go back to it again. So shall my word be. Verse 11. It's still on the screen So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, again, let's go back to our homework assignment from a a, a week or so ago. All right? An area in your life that needs some transformation, that, that. That needs some progress, that needs some breakthrough, that needs some deliverance, that needs uh, some increase, that, whatever. I mean, again, needs some healing, what have you, in, in your life, okay? Notice that he says his word that comes down to us from heaven, when it's returned back to him, taken in, processed, and returned back to him it will not return back to Him void, empty, but it will accomplish what He pleases, what God pleases, and it will prosper in the thing for which He initially sent it. In other words, you, it, you, don't make this harder than it has to be. Alright? So when God says, when God said to us, all of my children are taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. Amen. Well, that's something that Pam and I have confessed over our children. Not that you know, I'm trying to take a place in anybody's life that you haven't given me. But as a pastor, as a, as a, as a shepherd... Amen. I confess over this family of faith here at Heritage, over you, amen, that you're taught of the Lord. And great, great shall be your peace. The shalom of God. He's talking about health and prosperity and well being and all kinds of good, great wealth. Great health and well-being. Great soundness. Great quantities of all kinds of good in your life. Why? Because you're being taught of the Lord. Now, who said, all of my children to be taught of the Lord and great should be? Whose word is that? That's Father's word. What do you think He was trying to produce by sending that word down to us? The very thing That that word's communicating. It's not a trick question. Are you you following what I'm saying? Amen? How about this one, right? By His stripes you were healed. We have a list on our website. We can get you a hard copy of it. 101 things the Bible says about healing. Old Testament and New Testament. Let me just simply say it this way. God has had a lot to say to us about healing. Or let me say it another way. God has sent a whole bunch of His thoughts and thinking about health and healing from heaven down to us. What do you think He's trying to produce or affect? He's wanting us to take that Word into our beings, return it back to Him. What do you think He's trying to accomplish? What do you think He's wanting it to prosper in your life? Produce in your life? Obviously, health and healing. Do you see how this works? Reckon God's had a few things to say about money. <laughs> you better know He's had a bunch to say about money, right? It's his, he wishes above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Why do you think He's had so much to say about prosperity and wealth? It's not, it's not money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of it. It's greed. It's when we try to make money our, our God instead of, of, instead of our Creator as our God. God wants you to have money. He wants you to be blessed. We were talking about this in class this morning. I heard Keith Moore early this morning. He was preaching, listen to the sermon he was preaching. And, and he said this. He said, God cannot give you something that means more to you than Him. He would not, he would not be a good father to participate in our insanity with us and give us things that we don't have enough maturity to to handle. Things that would would consume us. But don't ever mistake that for Him not desiring you to, to be wealthy and to be prosperous. The Bible says things like He's given you the ability to get wealth so this covenant can be established in all the earth. The Bible says that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and He adds no sorrow with it. The Bible says that He became poor so that we could become rich. This idea that God's only concerned about your internal well-being, that God's only concerned about your spirit and not your soul, or at least your spirit and your soul, and not your external well-being is a lie from the pits of hell. Who wants the church broke? God or the devil? Seeing as how it takes a whole lot of money to preach this gospel around the world, I think it's the devil who wants God's people broke, struggling financially. So again, has God, has God had a lot to say about our financial well-being, our financial prosperity? He absolutely has. So again, if, if I look on the shelf and, and, I'm, and I'm wanting to plant some corn, I might as well leave the zucchini seed on the shelf, because if I plant zucchini, I'm going to get zucchini. But if I want corn, I want to plant corn. Because that corn seed is going to accomplish my desire and produce corn. It's going to prosper in the area of corn prosperity. Amen. So when God talks about your emotional well-being, what do you think He intended to accomplish? What is it that He sent that Word to accomplish? What is it that would please Him if His Word accomplished that in your life? What is it that He wants to prosper? What thing is He trying to prosper in your life? Uh, What did He have in mind when He originally sent that Word to us? Amen. The Word of His power. The power to produce breakthrough. The power to produce healing. The power to produce deliverance. The power to produce prosperity. Amen. It's in His Word. There's a a tremendous power, as we've already noted, in a seed. But that seed needs right soil and that seed needs moisture. It needs water, not just to sprout, but to grow and to be healthy. Amen. Amen. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it's got to be returned, it's got to be absorbed. It's got to be internalized. It's got to be uh, acted upon. It's got to be obeyed. Amen. It's got to be confessed. It's got to be spoken. if 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 the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and it is, how do you swing a verbal sword? By speaking. By speaking. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to uh, you know, make you feel bad or, or, or judge you or anything tonight, but have you swung the sword today? If you haven't spoken the Word of God today, you haven't swung the sword today. Have you swung the hammer today that breaks the rocks into pieces? If you haven't spoken the Word, you, have you planted it today? How do you pl- if the Word of God is seed, how do we plant it? Speaking it. Confessing it. Saying what it says. Amen. Amen. I guess you can tell I'm a little jazzed about this. It'll change your life forever. It'll change your life forever. It, and this is how, again, man, when rain falls, it, it, the Bible says that a, that a, a stump um, can, can literally, and I don't have this in my notes, it's just the Holy Spirit's bringing it up in my spirit right now, but, but a stump can be dead no signs of life, and just the scent of water cause it to start springing forth, shooting out new life just from the scent of water. Alright? Now, you're in Isaiah 55, turn backwards to Isaiah 51. Now, it's not a lot of math involved tonight, but you do realize that 51 comes before 55. And sometimes we look at 51 first, and then 55, and as we did tonight, other times we look at 55 first, and then 51. The idea is God had already said to them in 51 what he said to them, and then said what he said to them in 55. Isaiah 51 and verse number 16. If you underline things in your Bible, I would recommend you marking this one. God says this, And I have put My words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of My hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say, to Zion, you are my people. Okay? Now again, God is speaking. And He is, he is saying, okay? Um, I'll, I'll just use uh, Jaden as an example. And I, I will uh, play the role of God's part in this. And this is how how our Heavenly Father wants us to understand this. I'm God speaking to Jaden. Jaden, I've put my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand so that I can plant the heavens. Notice, it's not so that Jaden can plant them. I've put my words in his mouth. I've put my hand on him so that I can plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, say to Zion, you are My people. Now, this goes back to something that we've already talked about in measure that we will develop more as we go along. But it has to do with what the Bible teaches concerning our being a co-laborer together with God. The Bible says that the heavens belong to Him, but the earth He has given... To the sons of men. So God is wanting to do some things in the earth. He's wanting to do some things in Jaden's life. You say, well, why doesn't God just, you know, wait till Jaden goes to sleep and come get busy? Because he needs Jaden's cooperation. So he's saying, Jaden, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my word to you. Matter of fact, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And I'm going to cover you with the shadow of my hand so that I can plant the heavens from your side of the heavens. Jesus taught us to pray after this manner of speaking. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, it's understood, but let me point it out just in case you missed it. When Jesus taught us to pray this way, where were we? Where was He? We were right here on the earth. So we are standing here on the earth talking to our Father. Jesus didn't say, you pray to my Father. He said, you pray to our Father. Yes, sir. He says, specifically, I think, in the King James or New King James, do not think you will be heard because of your much asking or your many words. Your many words. It's in Matthew, what, six, I believe. Okay. Notice how that flies in the face of conventional church uh, thinking, okay? We hear people say things like if anybody was ever going to be healed, it would have been my great aunt because we had people praying in seven states. Right? It it has it has nothing to do with the number of words. The word see we that's back to that whole We're going to bombard heaven, storm the gates of heaven. You know, it's like you got a key. What's up? You know, amen. You, you come boldly to the throne. It, it's the whole, but it's that mindset, right? We're just going to try to just overwhelm heaven, and and somehow through all this prayer, just God's going to finally just have had enough and say, okay, just leave me alone. I'll do it already. No, that's not how it works. Absolutely not how it works. Okay So from the earth we speak to our Father. Jesus' dad is my dad too. OK? And this Father in heaven who's teaching us to pray through His Son, is saying, "When you come to me, you come to me as a loving heavenly Father. You come to me as a beloved son or daughter comes to a beloved father." Amen. Now, again, that is a position of respect, right? We're to honor our father and our mother. So it's, it's not, um, you know, man upstairs kind of garbage talk, right? Right? Jesus is my homie. No, come on now. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No? No? No, let's not. Amen. We got it right. I got the sentiment behind that. And Amen. So there's still respect. It's not that. But there's love. That's the most important thing. There's love here. It's family. There's a connection that's more than just subject to king or slave to master or even poor friend to rich friend. Okay? There's a co-laboring that's involved here. Remember, I've told you this before, I'll tell you again. It's not so much that He created you to rule over you as it is He created you to rule through you. He created this earth and gave you and me dominion over it. We turned that over to Adam. Jesus came back as the last Adam to take that dominion and authority back and give it to you and me once again. Restore us. Okay? That's good news. So, Father is in heaven speaking His words. He is now wanting us from the earth to take His words and speak them back to Him. Again, 51 comes before 55, but 55 gives us an expanded view of what that looks like by using The concept of precipitation as a parallel to it. The rain falls, waters the earth, the earth takes it in, sends it back, and and it it acts as a catalyst to release the power that's in the seed and the soil and the water. Right? Okay. Now, thank you, Jesus. I want to draw your attention. And it was several years ago, but I'll never forget, man, the Holy Spirit, it was like He just put LED neon lights on that word heavens for me. Read this a bunch of times, quoted it a bunch of times, taught from it a bunch of times. And I don't, I don't know, I could go back and listen to the tapes, but I bet for years, I think for years, because whether I said it or not, I thought heaven not have vungs There's an S there. S means plural, also known as more than one. Right? So when that word, again, I knew the Holy Spirit was emphasizing something here that, that He wanted to, to teach me and explain to me. So let me, again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's come back for just a moment. Let's tie this together with another passage that's real important to our study. 2 Corinthians 5, what did he say? When you speak, it's as if God is what? Speaking through you to other people, saying what? Be reconciled to God. Does that not sound like the fulfillment of this verse, or at least a, a, a part of what? Amen. And it absolutely is. Now, we see here that God is wanting to plant the heavens so that he can do three i say three the three things are plant the heavens but that's where it begins okay we'll explain that in a minute the second thing is his words in your mouth so that he can plant the heavens number 1 number 2 lay the foundations of the earth Psalm 82 says the foundations of this earth are out of course. When Pam and I were looking for our first home, we we found a a home that we we really liked. I don't don't know, baby. Sometimes I drive past it and I wonder what would happen if we'd have bought that house instead of the one we wound up buying. Um, It's not far from the house that we wound up buying our first home. But the thing that scared us was the brick in the front. There was a section of it that didn't line up right. (laughs) Had a big crack and And those joints went like this, and all of a sudden they they stepped down a little bit. And I'm like, oh man, what's wrong there, right? Obviously something was afoul with the foundation. Okay? So on a much larger scale, the Bible says that the foundations are out of course. As I love to tell folks, as many as will listen to me, you cannot build a new life on an old foundation. We've got to to get the foundation right. And so notice now, He's wanting to put His words in your mouth so we can get the foundation right. So we get the foundation put in place. Jesus said, the man who hears these sayings of mine but does not do them will be like a man who built a 6,000 square foot home on sand. And as soon as the difficult time came in his life, it all came crashing down. But There was another man who heard these sayings of mine and did them, and did them. And he was like a man who dug deep, found something solid, a good foundation built from there. When the wind blew against that man's life, when the rains beat against that man's life, when even the floods rose around that man, his life still stood. There, there, was, there was some substance there. Again, we're talking about foundations now. And say to Zion, You are my people. You are my people. Zion is the New Testament church. Okay? We are Zion. Amen? Now, I don't have the drawing. I'm not going to try to pull it up in my notes. But do you remember we talked about the ministry of reconciliation having two primary branches that both involved speaking the Word of God. The first was we spoke the Word of God so that men and women could hear the message of Jesus and be born again. Branch number one. Branch number two was what we call discipleship. Okay? And that's when we take the Word of God and rightly divide it, skillfully apply it, so that our thinking can be brought into alignment with God's thinking. One happens instantly, a new birth happens instantly when people hear, believe, confess, receive. The second one is, is an ongoing work in progress. Okay? Do you see how that fits with speaking the word of God so that you are my people. In other words, that's that's the message, right? That, That God is calling a people to himself. And then that second branch of reconciliation, discipleship, getting the foundations right. Getting the foundations put in place. In other words, I believe that God was prophetically speaking through Isaiah, this ministry of reconciliation, all the way back that many years before Jesus ever arrived here on planet Earth. Amen? Okay. Now, I offer to you that this is still Father's desire and plan. Let me, if I could, for just one moment, all right? There are some who say, Pastor Mark, you have lost your mind. This is speaking prophetically of Jesus. Okay? Well, yes, it is. But who are we? We are His body in the earth, Amen. And we see that as Jesus was sent. Again, I could. People who say everything I'm saying from here on out doesn't fit because it's not talking about us—you're wrong. I mean, I'm not—I don't mean to be so blunt about it. It absolutely, positively does apply to us, and especially when we get over into chapter fifty-five. Because who was the Word of God made flesh and come down from heaven? That was Jesus, right? And He showed us, not just who God is, He showed us who we are. Amen. Amen. And did He not say, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, you will say not to a fig tree, but to a mountain, be thou removed and be cast into yonder sea, and it will obey you. Okay, so again... We'll get into some more of that later, but thank you, Jesus. So what happens if He puts His words in our mouth, and again, we don't speak them? You see? You, amen. Could I, all right, Holy Spirit, thank you. One, one last part of this as well, okay? Does anybody in here besides me see the baptism of the Holy Spirit prophetically in this verse? Right? Because when we pray and speak in an unknown tongue, that is literally God putting His words in our mouth in His heavenly language. Are you kidding me? And The Bible says, when we pray that way, we pray mysteries according to His will, making intercession for the saints according to His will, planting the heavens laying the foundations of the earth and calling a people who did not exist as God's people. Amen. All right, so, heavens with an S, plural. Heavens, plural. We see it in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 It doesn't say it does not say in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't say he created heaven and earth. It says he created the heavens the heavens plural and the earth. Okay? All right. Now I'm going to put a drawing up on the screen. Um, don't judge me, it's my first effort at this, okay? I'm just kidding, I know you're not going to judge me, All Um, my darling bride is the artistic one in the family, but I am creative, I don't know if you can be creative without being artistic, but I'm artistic in my own way, okay? But anyway, um, I don't know how it's, this is, we may just have to wait for a minute, okay? I'm not going to try to talk while all this is happening, okay? But, um. Anyway, and nothing's happening, all right, so there it goes. All right, so we're going to draw some circles, and you ought to see me when I do this on a dry erase board, okay? I'll explain it all in just a moment. Are you amazed? I'm just kidding. All right. Um, it, is, it is not my hand. It is a proxy hand, okay? All right. Now, clearly, what we have in the middle here is unmistakably planet Earth. And if I do this on a dry erase board, and I did it with this, but it looked cheesy, so I just took it off. right, but um, this says Earth's atmosphere. Okay, I'll I'll, uh, I'll explain. I'll explain it all. Okay. This says Earth's atmosphere, and this says first or lower heaven. I see some of you feverishly drawing and writing, so we'll go ahead and get all this so you can read it. Hopefully it's showing up well on the camera, all right? Then in this second area here, this says outer space. And also known as second heaven, okay? Some people refer to this as the planetary um, heavens, okay? And then beyond that is what the Bible calls paradise often what we think of as heaven this is the throne of God okay this is this is where new new Jerusalem is coming down out of the heavens right it's coming from here passing through down to the earth below all right and so also Paul referred to this heaven as the third heaven okay so we've got first our lower heaven second heaven Third heaven. Those are the heavens that God created that are referenced in the Scriptures. Okay? Now, um, if you go to a new school, it's kind of funny too because I graduated from UAB and so when my son went to UAB, um, the Sunday before he was supposed to start that afternoon between services, I... I said, let's, uh, let's ride down there. I kind of show you around a little bit. And, uh, and so <laughs> there were football fields where there used to be streets that I parked on, right? I mean, it, it was funny. It was really funny, okay? Um, but, so then we went. They wanted parents to come. So we went to something called orientation, right? And um, orientation for the parents, orientation for the new students. If you were to go to work for a new company, there's going to be a period of orientation, all right? Um, and so, what this does on a really big scale is help us get oriented, right? Um, the lay of the land. Um, who remembers going from elementary school to middle school, right? It's kind of intimidating, wasn't it? Okay. But nowadays, um, you know, when our children made that transition, they let us go with them before school started. Find their locker. Let them practice opening their locker. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like reducing the anxiety, right? Okay, so again, orientation. Getting the lay of the land. Finding out where your classes are. All right? Okay. So, among other things, I I want you to think of this as orientation and, and a way to visualize it. Now, this, this is, again, a visualization, a drawing. Do not think that you can get in a rocket and travel through the earth's atmosphere, through outer space, and crash land in paradise, okay? It's not happening, okay? So, the drawing is for illustration purposes. When God released the mighty word of His power, and said, let there be light, we know now that the universe is continuing, continuing to expand faster than the speed of light. So, you're, you're not going to penetrate the light barrier and get beyond that, okay? Alright, so, but, for illustration purposes, the Atmosphere around the earth referred to um, the lower heaven or it is often referred to um, as the, um, well, when I say often referred to, it's, thank you Jesus, it's the area where demonic spirits camp out to try to control What goes on on planet Earth? All right, I need to stay with my notes, but let me just complete that thought, and then I'm going to get back to my notes because mm, we're about out of time. All right. When we talk about ruling the earth, the different levels are not just denoting altitude, but they're denoting authoritative (coughs) position. Okay. So the reason demonic spirits try to control this lower heaven is because whoever controls the heaven over the earth controls the earth. Right? Remember he said plant the heavens first, lay the foundations of the earth second. We can't effectively change things in the natural until we change them first in the spiritual. Now, I want to give you some verses. I think I can put these on the screen, but if I start putting them on the screen, then we lose our drawing. And so I just want to keep the drawing there for now, okay? 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. Again, to help orient you. 1 Kings 8 and 27. It says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? And that's a question mark. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Alright? Now obviously, there's some other things being explained here. But notice the value of this verse. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Speaking of God, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Okay? This is what I believe, among other things, but this is what I believe Father is wanting us to glean from this passage, okay? The heaven over you has a heaven over it. The heaven over you has a heaven over it. So when he says the heaven of heavens, heaven and heaven of heavens, again, do you notice, heaven, heaven of heavens, Okay, cannot contain you. How much less a temple built with people's hands. So he's talking about the heaven of our atmosphere. So again, in order to rule the earth, you must rule the lower heaven over the earth. So Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that is in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll give you a moment to turn to this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's begin at verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We've got to get some more of this in. Amen. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14. And you're welcome, and, and 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 again, what I'm simply trying to do with this is not teach exhaustively on all of these. I'm just I'm trying to make you aware that this idea of it's not a typo. Heavens, plural is not a typo. It's not just some um, unique odd thing that we find in Isaiah 51 and 16. But as as we you know uh, are made aware of this now, it's it's we find it everywhere we look. I don't know if I've I don't know if I've told you this story yet or not, but let me let me just very quickly, okay? Uh, The burgundy truck, the maroon truck that I drive, it's a 2002 model Chevrolet. Um, Pam and I went we went to buy that truck when I sold my cabinet business, and and um, anyway, it's a long story. I won't go into all the details of it, but I wanted a charcoal gray one. They didn't have a charcoal gray one, and. And they had that one, and, and, and it had this, the features and stuff that, that I wanted. And I remember telling Pam, I said, you know, baby, I think that's kind of rare. I've never seen one that color. I, I, it's growing on me. I think I like it. I think I'd rather have that than the charcoal gray one. And she's like, look, I want you to get what you want. If we need to order it, I need to wait, whatever. And I said, no, no, I, I think I like that. I think it's, I think it's a rare thing. I, 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 I think this is good, you know, right? I saw three of those trucks driving home that color, okay? Because now what? I'm aware of it, right? My eyes are open to it. Now that my eyes are open to it, it's not that all of a sudden the market was flooded with burgundy trucks the day I bought one. They were there the whole time. I just didn't see them until my eyes were open to the one that was mine now. I'm looking for it now and now I'm seeing it everywhere. Same is true with heavens, plural. Right? I'm like, Father, I've I've never seen this. This is so interesting. He's like, Genesis 1-1. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Heavens, wow! Okay. And so I'm trying to show you that not only... Is it throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that there is a very important understanding here uh, for us, again, becoming oriented to our place in all of this. Alright, I gave you plenty of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast, Paul speaking, through the Holy Spirit. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. By the way, he is the man okay, that he's talking about. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. A couple of things I want to point out here. First of all, Paul is that man. He's trying not to be boastful, but thank God this was a portion of what he did experience and what he did hear and see on that day that he was given permission to share with us. I want you to notice that when he went to the third heaven, he does not know whether or not his physical body went with him on the trip. Why is that worth pointing out? Am I the only one in this room that my flesh has ever given me some trouble? And yet in heaven, his spirit was so in tune and he was so aware of his spirit that he wasn't even sure if his flesh was there or not. Can you imagine being so spiritually conscious that you're not even sure if the physical body is present? Now, we also see that there are some key things here that we need to pay attention to. And that is, when Paul went to the third heaven, he experienced... God there, the throne of God there, and also we now see that He is identifying this third heaven as paradise. As paradise. Okay? Now, that's a significant change because paradise used to be located elsewhere, but as Jesus said, He's come to make all things new. Jesus changed that when he died on the cross. How do we know that? Well, again, write this passage down. Luke 23, 43. Jesus to the thief on the cross beside him, Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? All right? That's Luke 23, 43. Come again. Jesus did go to hell first for that man's sin and for ours. And so that's how Jesus was able to offer him that position, right? Because of of that man's sin. a good question, brother. Never been asked that one. It is a good question, yeah. amen. Do yeah. I now? Ascend, descend, ascend, amen. Well, and because, because what I of course believe is, remember, remember what we said last week that there were so many things that Jesus said and did that if it was all written down, we wouldn't have room to contain it. And that puts tremendous importance on what we do have recorded. And so there are a lot of people, for instance, and if you're among them, I'm not trying to frustrate you, but there are a lot of people who believe that if you're never baptized in water, you'll never go to heaven. You you, you see what I'm saying? And clearly this man was not baptized in water. There are a lot of people who believe that, that somehow... Even after you're saved, you're not righteous until you establish a long history of good works and earn your way into heaven in spite of being forgiven of your sins. Again, so this particular account is recorded for us because, again, it becomes that rightly divided, skillfully applied. How do we, how do we explain these other doctrines given what Jesus did for this particular man you know, on, on the cross? Um, so I'll I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll look up the word today, because obviously that's the key word there, but I think the reason Jesus was saying that was, was so that they would understand there was an immediacy to that. Now, part of me, just, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or me, part of me wants to say that, you know, given the timing on all of this, did he die before Jesus, Jesus died before him, in those days, paradise was a holding place, but Jesus went and set all them folks free. And they all... Because remember, in the end of Matthew, it says people who were righteous dead were seen alive and well walking the streets of Jerusalem. So, amen. Maybe he's like that guy that was hired the last hour of the day and got the full wages of folks that had served for a long time. So, uh, it's great it's a great question, great point. I've never I've never considered. Um, I think we can all agree that he didn't burn in hell forever, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As as he deserved and as all of us deserved. Um, and and nor did he um, have to be baptized in water or you know, make two point seven years of perfect church attendance in order, you know, to qualify for social security and and <laughs> heaven's, heaven's benefits, right? You know, 41 quarters or whatever that stuff is. Okay. All right. Um, Amen. And so, and again, we know that paradise was there and the paradise in the third heaven because that's where Paul went and experienced what he experienced and heard the things um, that uh, he heard. And just to pile on one more, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay? And so, if you remember, the tree of life was once on planet Earth, but was taken from Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. I apologize. Revelation 2 and 7. Okay. Alright. So, again, um, eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, let me give you Yet another verse, okay? And this one is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And um, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Word of God, chapter 2 of Ephesians. But I'm just going to read the one verse. And he's talking about you and me. He says he made us alive because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to, now notice this, the prince of the power of, of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. See, we, we kind of think of this incorrectly. All right, we we think of of the devil like as as hell is kind of like the devil's hideout. You know, like the honeycomb hideout. You know, it's like that. That is really not the devil's base of operations. Okay. Um, his base of operations is the lower atmosphere around planet Earth. That, that is where he has set himself up um, to try and uh, rule uh, the earth from that position, from that perspective. Okay? Now, Job 38, 33. Am I going too fast? Are you all okay? All right, Job 38-33. He says this to Job. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Again, plural there, S. Can you set their dominion over the earth? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? If you if you understand, Job went through all these terrible things, and he was trying to figure it out, he was trying to make sense of it, and he was asking all of his friends, and, and they were giving him all this, you know, all these crazy ideas and opinions, and and of course, then his wife says you should just curse God and die, and and um, but but of course, you know, Job's story is the story of, of of redemption and restoration. But we, we also see that once he got through asking everybody else what was up, he finally got around to asking God. Okay? And of course, you know, in, in this account, we see that God then began to teach him some very important things. And he, and he did that by asking him a series of questions. Okay? And, and, and so, a lot of times, listen to me please, we allow what we know about something, excuse me, we allow what we know about something to keep us from learning what we don't know about it. The Bible says in other of my life verses, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. Okay? So there's always more for us to learn and understand. And so of course Job humbled himself and through all of that he didn't curse God and die. And 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 he obviously had questions as, as we have questions in our own lives and even have questions about Job's life. But we see that when he began to ask God, God says in essence to Job, do you understand spiritual things? Do you understand spiritual laws? Do, do you understand how these spiritual things, how these spiritual ordinances of the heavens affect your physical life upon the earth? Do you understand how the earth is influenced and affected by heavenly ordinances or by heavenly things? Are you following me? These, these are the questions that, that God is asking Job in Job 38 and 33. And of course, Job, like many people today, have no idea how spiritual things affect physical things on planet Earth. They have no idea, no understanding of spiritual ordinances, heaven, the ordinances of the heavens, okay? And how those ordinances, orders, laws, uh, Principles, truths um, uh, govern or influence the that dominion. You know how they dominate, think dominate, uh, affect uh, life on the earth. Okay, now, oh, thank you, Jesus. He is omnipotent, all powerful God, absolutely. And um, but I also think. Because remember, this was not just written for Job's benefit. This conversation that Job had with God um, was recorded and preserved and handed down to you and me tonight so that we can understand some things that Job didn't. So that we can learn some things that, that other folks still haven't learned in spite of it being written and recorded um, in God's Word. But the bottom line of it is this, what goes on in the heavens affects what goes on here on planet Earth? It's, it's invisible, it's spiritual. Um, it, in other words, it's not discerned with the five senses, okay? Um, but it is real nonetheless. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 everything we can see came from this realm, this heavenly realm, that we cannot see. Everything that's visible came from a realm that's invisible. Right? So God could have very easily asked Job or phrased the question this way Do you understand how invisible things affect visible things? Okay. Alright, now, this last part, and I'm not going to have time to do this justice, um, so if you're writing things down, just write, write this down in your notes. Daniel chapter 10, and, um, and specifically verses 12, 13, and 20. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12, 13, and 20. And um, I'm just going to talk about those verses, and I'm not going to try to read them or quote them to you, But if you understand what's being talked about there, Daniel was right here on planet earth, and there were some things that he was reading in the Scriptures that um, according to what he was reading should have already taken place in in his own people, in in the nation of Israel. And so Daniel was, if I could stretch it maybe just a touch, Daniel was looking for some reconciliation. In other words, what what the statement of truth said and what he was experiencing were not lining up. And he wanted to know why. He, he wanted to understand this. And so he decided that he was not going to eat until he got an answer. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. The Daniel fast, some of you may have participated in a Daniel fast, right? Where you just basically drink water and, and, and eat vegetables and, and no, nothing really uh, uh, spicy or, or, or seasoned and that sort of thing. Listen, don't misunderstand me. If if you do that for twenty one days, then you know God bless you. God be with you. But Daniel didn't do that for twenty. I mean, he did it for twenty one days, but you got to understand, he would have eaten that way for twenty one years. In other words, it was I'm fasting until I get my answer. I'm praying until I get my answer. I think that's part of the reason why he didn't do a total fast. Daniel was a man of much prayer and fasting, and I'm sure he had done total fast before. But he was like, you know what, I, I better at least eat a little something because this may take some time. Okay? On day 21, one of the most amazing things happens. An angel appears to Daniel and begins to give him his answer. And he says to Daniel, I left heaven 21 days ago when you first spoke and I have come because of your words. Wow. Do you understand the ordinances of the heavens and how they affect life on planet earth, right? Where was Daniel when he prayed? He was on the earth. Who was he praying to? God in heaven. Where was God? He was in the third heaven. He was planting the heavens. Because you can't speak to the third heaven from earth without speaking through these, right? So he speaks to God, planting the heavens, and God sends an angel with Daniel's answer the moment Daniel prayed the prayer. But for 21 days, that angel with Daniel's answer was on the cusp of the lower heaven, the earth's atmosphere, fighting demonic forces who were trying to stop this angel from getting to Daniel on planet Earth, Earth surface, with his answer. That's phenomenal thoughts, right there. It? Every bit of it's true. Thank God Daniel didn't pray for five minutes and then go back to home and garden TV reruns because he didn't get his answer. Okay? He hung in there, right? When that that angel got to Daniel with his answer, he explained to Daniel that the prince of Persia had fought him for 21 days and that another archangel had come to take on that fight to relieve him so that he could burst on through the battle line with Daniel's answer. But he said, now on my way back, the prince of Greece is come to reinforce the prince of Persia to try to keep me from getting back from Earth's atmosphere, back to the throne of God. What in the world? This isn't Disneyland. This is real stuff. This isn't some science fiction that somebody wrote here. This is a glimpse into what's going on in these heavens. And it's also a glimpse into how what takes place in those heavens is affected by our prayer, by our faith, and by the words that we speak. Amen. Amen. Heaven's plural. All right, more to come on all this. Yes, Grady. Can you answer this question with three elements that you came from the Word of God? The first one was when you came from Ephesians 2 6, you said that we're sitting in the heaven he with Father right now. Amen. Okay. So he was already he was with them and then he said, Call those things that are not as though they were. Okay. So you answer this question with all the answer from the word of God. Amen. Amen. No apology necessary, sister. Amen. 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 And I I think Dustin mentioned that too, that there, like in John 3, there and here at the same time. So That's good. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. We thank you for the things that you're revealing to us, the things that you're teaching us, the things that you're helping us understand, Father. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon each one of my brothers and sisters, those that are listening, watching tonight. I thank you, Father, for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.